Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Thank you. Oh, how's everybody doing? All right. Well, uh, I'm Wayne this morning for now anyway, and then Bob's going to be Wayne in a few minutes, so... Uh, I just, I don't know if everybody knows or not, but Wayne had a stroke last night, yesterday actually, uh, possibly while we were here for the spiritual warfare conference and on the way home, he ended up at the hospital and, uh, he's still there. Judy stopped and visited with him this morning and, uh, he, uh, she said he's in good spirits, was smiling and, uh, wanted our prayers. So keep him in your prayers, and hopefully he'll be back soon, and uh, we can hear that beautiful voice again. So, how many of you were at the Spiritual Warfare Conference? All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm blessed from it. Do what? Well, and that's why Wayne had stroke. He was attacked. He's an elder in this church, and he was here participating, so Satan didn't like it. Uh, But let's just keep each other in prayer, and uh, this morning we are going to do things a little differently. Uh, We're going to jump right in and have our opening prayer, and then Brother Bob's going to come back up and lead us like he used to, and... uh, he said, uh, retread is ready to get back in place, so. <laughs> All right, so let's open up with our opening prayer this morning. Father God, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you thanks, because you are our mighty, almighty God. We thank you, we praise you, because you are good, because you are perfect in your love. You are perfect in your grace. You are perfect in your mercy. We are products of your love, mercy, and grace through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us and by putting faith in him and what he has done for us. So Lord, I ask that you open our hearts and our minds to receive all of your goodness this morning. Lord, help us to reject any negativity that the devil tries to put in our minds and in our thoughts and in our way and just focus on you. Your word says to focus on things above, not the things of this world. So help us to do that and to honor you. And may everything be said, done, and sung to your glory and your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who art in heaven.
God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. He certainly is. Time for what? Attitude check. Attitude check? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> we, uh, we're going through some tough times right now, but we're going to get through it with God's help Amen. and direction. <clears throat> and we're going to praise Him now. Yes. We're turning to number 162. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen. Union hymn this morning will be uh, number 267 in the garden.
John Klemick has our uh, meditation this morning. Focusing on God's grace rather than our guilt. This morning I want to remind us, Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper so we might feed on and be refreshed by him. Too often we have a view of the Lord's Supper that's overly self-reflective and guilt-driven. A lot of times we think this, is, this time is primarily about what I need to do to fix things. I need to remember and confess every sin I've committed this past week. I need to feel guilty for how far or short I fall. We make the Lord's Supper about us and our sin instead of Jesus and his grace. But for most of us this morning, the reality is we come in here on Sunday probably aware of how sinful and undeserving we are. We bring our burdens and pains in here and we need God to refresh us with his grace. We bring our doubt and fears into this room, and we need God to grant us assurance. We come aware of our sins and how messy we are, so we need the gospel of free grace applied to our hearts. And that is exactly why God gave us the Lord's Supper. This isn't what we do once we've gotten things right on our end. We do it believing God makes us right through the body and blood of Jesus. Yes, this is a time to confess your sins, but instead of trying to clean yourself up or staying in a place of guilt there in your seats, come to Jesus in the Lord's Supper. As an act of faith where you say he is the answer and he alone is what I need. The Lord's Supper is not about our worthiness or fitness, but about, about, our, about the worthiness of Jesus Amen. and how he, in amazing grace, makes us fit to sit at God's table. Yes. As you drink and eat, eat and drink this morning, do so with the awareness that Jesus is still today, in this moment, a sufficient Savior for all of our sins, and he offers us grace to help in any situation we are up against. As we take in these physical objects of bread and wine, may God give us a powerful taste of the forgiveness and fullness of Jesus for us. Yes. The supper is an invitation, not for those who've got things under control or are good people. It's an invitation for sinful and weak Christians in need of Christ's grace. Amen. Jesus invites us to come to him in the Lord's Supper. All who are thirsty, come. All who are weak and wounded, come. All who are aware of their sin and need grace, come now. Let's pray. Dear God, as we partake in this remembrance, we thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he paid the price for us so that we can have a relationship with you. His body was broken so that we may be healed and restored. His blood was shed that we might be forgiven. Please forgive and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Fill us with your spirit that we might honor and please you daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
let's take a couple of minutes just to to bask in God's love and to try to understand His grace and His mercy. When Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room for the Passover meal, Jesus took bread and blessed it, broke it, passed it among them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And likewise the cup, when they had eaten, Jesus gave thanks and passed it among them saying this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the remission of sins as often as you do this do it in remembrance of me until I come again drink of it all of you let's stand for the doxology Continue our praise this morning by turning to number 166, Sweet Hour of Prayer.
seated, Brother Mitch. Bob, I apologize to you because I should have sat down there so you wouldn't have to make that extra trip. Uh, I didn't think about it. <laughs> it's easier to get up from the pew than it is to get up from the chair. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. Wow. Man, I'll tell you what. Those songs, uh, I can preach a sermon just from them. That's sweet, our prayer. Wow. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad we sang in the garden because uh, there's a story that comes from that song that really goes well with my scripts this, this morning. And the story is about Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump went to church, and he was talking to the preacher, and he said, you know, he said, uh, I really like coming here. Preacher says, well, good. He said, I feel so good knowing him. He said, well, good. He said, what's his name? He said, Andy. He said, Andy? He said, yeah, Andy walks with me, Andy talks with me. (laughs) But you can misunderstand things and take it out of context, as we will see in this passage of Scripture. We're starting in Matthew 7 and the the first verses, uh, uh, the first pericope in chapter 7 we're going to cover this morning. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go the commands of God and are holding to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand, nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man 
that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of the man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of God. Wow. You talk about a bold message. He's preaching boldly. I mean, he even calls these Pharisees out, calls them hypocrites to their face. You know, Jesus was the kind of person that when he called it out, he called it like it was, and he didn't say it behind your back. He said it to your face. And here he's dealing with some issues that these Pharisees have been doing wrong probably at this point for hundreds of years. Because when we start out the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, now these were probably a part of the Sanhedrin. Those, they were political and religious leaders of the day. And though the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, especially the teachers of the law, they're the ones who make an interpretation. Of, they're basically the lawyers of the day. They take the, the, the written word of God through all of the uh, Old Testament passages in the first five books of the Bible. And they begin to break down, well, this is what that means. And that's what this means. And this is what that means. And they begin to tell people, well, because it says this, you must do this or you must not do that. Uh, so they, they had this whole legal system. And if somebody was caught going against what they taught, there was a problem. And so they saw the disciples of Jesus... Oh, glory. They were eating and they didn't wash their hands first. Oh, you're going to hell. <laughs> uh, if I ate without washing my hands at home, I wish I could go to hell. <laughs> Mom took care of that. <laughs> you wash your hands before you eat. But, you know, you stop and you think about this. Here, now, if this is actually in chronological order... Not sure that it is, but even if it's not. But if it were, you think about they had gone off by themselves to take a rest and to be able to eat and relax. And then they got in the crowds. The crowds came and all these other things were going on. Now, here's another crowd they're facing. But they finally got a chance to get something to eat and maybe take a little bit of break. And what happens? Here the devil comes along and has to interrupt. (laughs) Has to find something wrong with what they're doing and call them out in public. See, what they're doing is they're accusing 
the disciples of Jesus. In other words, they're accusing Jesus as their leader, as their teacher of breaking the law. Here is another opportunity that the devil's taking full advantage of to try to get Jesus shut down, out of the way, moved aside, not listened to. Now, if you and I were confronted like that, if, if we, were, uh, we had people that we were responsible for, we might have responded a little differently. Maybe not. Some people wouldn't respond at all. They would just feel shamed and walk away. And that would be the end of that. They would have won if that was the case. If you shut up and hang your head in shame and walk away, they won. You lost. But Jesus knows the difference between what's right and what's wrong, not what people think is right and what's wrong. Is his name really Andy? (laughs) Is his name really Andy or is that a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation? You see, that's what happened with these Pharisees. They thought his name was Andy. (laughs) They had a misunderstanding here. They thought that the laws were given to be strictly adhered to and to be interpreted however I see fit to interpret it and then say because I am a a lawyer, because I am a, a Pharisee, because I am a Sadducee and it's my job to interpret the scripture for you, then... I got to tell you, what you're doing is wrong. Book, chapter, and verse. (laughs) Don't exist. But, of course, the people didn't do those kind of things back then. If the the leaders told you you were wrong, you were wrong. As a general rule, that's how people saw it. But Jesus doesn't accept man's interpretation of the loss. Because he knows the grace that is missing from man's interpretation. That's the meat of the matter here. He says, wait a minute. You're telling me that they're, that, that they're made unclean. Now, here's another thing you have to realize. That clean and unclean is a ceremonial uh, type of, of distinction. You remember there was things that were common or clean and things that were uncommon or unholy, unclean. So if you're unclean, you're unholy, you're unrighteous. You have no right to be representing God. You're an unrighteous, unholy creature. I mean, just think, what they do with the people who had leprosy? Unclean, unclean. And they called them sinners. Now, were they? I don't know. Some probably were, but maybe not all. Uh, We know there's leprosy to this day. Herman goes to an island uh, while he's out. Every time, as far as I know, he goes to an island where there's a hospital where there are people who have leprosy. It's an island. If you have leprosy, you go there, uh, along with some other diseases. And Herman visits people every time he goes over there. He lays hands on them, and he prays for them, and he saw people that were healed when they accepted Jesus. So imagine that. 
There is still leprosy to this day. People still put them away and still don't want to deal with them. But here, all they did was not use the ceremonial washing. Now, folks, here's one thing that I think sometimes churches get hung up on, this thing called tradition. Ah, Oh, you have to do it like this. You have to do it like, we've always done it that way. We ain't going to change. I'm sorry. If God says change, you better change. And that's what's going on right here. Jesus is saying, look, you all are following your traditions. I'm telling you the truth of how it's supposed to be. Things that go inside you are not what make you unclean ceremonially unclean, legally unclean. Now, can you say that their hands were dirty? Yeah, you could probably get away with that. That would be a true statement. But to say that that made them unclean. Here's the thing, you know, in the Old Testament, if you walk along and you go uh, and touch a, a, a deceased person's body, you just made yourself unclean for seven days and you have to wash and Wash all your clothes. Now, there's a big difference between that and just not washing your hands before you take a bite to eat. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, no, no. Eating with unclean hands or unwashed hands is not what makes you unclean. It's what comes from out of your heart. That's what shows who's unclean and who's not. Now, we're told in another place that God doesn't judge according to our actions. He judges according to our heart, what's on our heart. Because sometimes we do the wrong thing, but in our heart, we're doing it for the right reason. He honors that, but he corrects us. Okay? There's a difference. But here, they're just saying, no, no, no. We've never done it that way before, and it can't change. That's a tradition. The elders teach this. We've been teaching this to our people for hundreds of years. And you come along and you say, no. Who do you think you are? God. (laughs) And he calls them hypocrites. And he quotes scripture from Isaiah. The people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far, far, far away far away, somewhere else, not in their relationship with me. It's somewhere else. They're in a relationship with the world. My heart's in a relationship with Jesus, but sometimes my heart's tempted to be in a relationship with the world. Sometimes my heart is is tempted to be in a relationship with food, (laughs) chocolate especially. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes my heart lusts for things that I would love to have. But we're told, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you when you do that. But here he's saying, oh yeah, you you speak good about me, but you don't mean it. It's not in your heart. It's in your head. It needs to move about eight inches down <laughs> to your heart. It hasn't made it there yet. He says, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught 
by men. Following men's traditions, not God's truth. That's gotten a lot of people in trouble, folks. It's gotten a lot of churches split up, a lot of places. It, 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 it causes problems. And then he says this in verse 8. Or, yeah, verse 8, he says, You have let go the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of man. And then he says this to give them an example that they could relate to and understand just to prove his point. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your traditions, your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban. That is to say, it's a gift devoted to God. And the result of that, the conclusion is, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. And thus, by doing so, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Wow. Now, I'm sure none of us can relate to that. Because today we do it all right. We follow God's word to the letter. I mean, we got it down to science. We use computers and everything. So we understand it perfectly, right? We're fine-tuned to the Holy Spirit. We walk right. We spit right. We walk right. You know, all this stuff. We, we, we're right. The right reverend. <laughs> Wrong. There are many people who seem to feel that way in the way they live their life. Well, anything I do is okay because I'm a Christian. God will, God will understand. God understands when I make a mistake. Sure he does. I don't mean he approves of it, though. Don't act like he's okayed it. Get right with it. Stop doing the wrong and make it right with God. Yeah. So many things. He says, you know, these children are supposed to be supporting and helping their elderly parents. But when they come to you and under probably some intense moment of emotion, they feel led to make a donation of their life savings to the church. It's to God. Well, Mom and Dad, I, I, I see you're struggling. I'm sorry, but I can't help. I've donated everything to the Lord. Now, in today's world, if anybody was to do that, which I'm not sure anybody would, but <laughs> if anybody was to do that, uh, if, if they come to their pastor, the minister, and say, listen, you know, I have a situation my parents are struggling. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to give all because I have to help them out. They were there for me. They raised me. They took care of me. Now I have to return back to them. And if that pastor or that minister is right with God, they say, I understand, no problem. You do what you have to do. We'll be okay because God will provide. But they refused to allow them to get out of their commitment. Why? Because a lot of that money went directly in their pockets. 
Oh, I'm glad we don't have anybody that does that today. <laughs> but the bottom line is a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation. Now, did they misinterpret it intentionally or did they just misunderstand? We don't know that because we don't know their hearts. But Jesus did, and he called them hypocrites, which implies that at this point they understand exactly what they're doing, but they're doing it anyway. That's what makes them a hypocrite. Do you know where the word hypocrite comes from? Anybody? In the original Greek, they started, a, they made the word that hypo, hypocrite, which is changing faces, I think. If that may or may not be correct. But anyway, that's what it implies. It means it was, it was a term that was created for actors. You know, the old actors, they did plays where they had these masks. And they would just hold the mask up in front of their face. Well, they'd turn around and then they'd come back with a different mask. And they were a different person. Use a different voice. And that's where the term hypocrite comes from. That's where the, the, the term two-faced comes from. That's what the word means. You're two-faced. You have multiple faces. You have multiple personalities. You're a hypocrite. You say one thing, but then you turn around and become somebody different and do something else. That's what he's calling these people. You say to all of your followers, this is what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it yourself. Oh, imagine that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man. You know, when you think about the logic that he uses, you take the food in, it does its job, and then exposes the waste, and, and that's all there is to it. You know? Don't make a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. And that's exactly what they were doing, making a mountain out of a molehill. And then he goes on and, and, and explains it in a way that they should be able to understand. In the verse 20, he says, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within a man's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean. It's not what you take in that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. You know, there's another place where we are told that out of the mouth comes forth the things of the heart. When we begin to express bitterness and anger and hatred, that's what's really in our heart, at least at that moment. But it shouldn't be allowed to surface. As a Christian, we should be listening and following the Holy Spirit. If we're holding unforgiveness towards somebody in our heart, we're allowing bitterness to build up. We're allowing that problem to control us instead of us taking control of it. You know, through the Holy Spirit, we, we are allowed to overcome 
what other people do to us. And just like in this spiritual warfare conference this weekend, you know, we were told and we, we hopefully learned that when somebody does something that hurts you, you need to look beyond the person to see the demon behind that that is using that person to cause your pain and your hurt. Therefore, you're able to forgive the person because they just agreed with the devil and was used as a pawn in that scheme. It's the devil's the one who tried to hurt you. It's the demons that want you dead, that want you to suffer forever and ever. They're going to, so they want you to too. (laughs) We have to learn that... What the scripture says, it's not flesh and blood. Now, Jesus is dealing with flesh and blood here because these people are saying, we are spiritual leaders. We're the ones that tells you what's right and what's wrong. So he's dealing with them saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. Change your heart. Change the way you think. Change the way you believe. Put your faith in me instead of in just what you think and what you feel. You see, salvation is not based on feelings. It's based on facts. The fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and came into the world is God in the form of man. It's a fact that Jesus Christ lived 33 years on the earth. It's a fact that during that time he committed no sin. It's a fact that during those 33 years he, he built enemies more and more and more. It's a fact that the reason behind his coming was to pay the price of our sin. That was the whole purpose that he was sent and came voluntarily in the first place. It is a fact that he died a terrible death on the cross And that he did it for you and for me. These are facts, not feelings. When we have our, when we believe those things, when we accept the truth of those things, that he died in my place, that he paid the debt for my sin. And when I realize I am a sinner, when I realize that he paid that debt for me and I accept that as a truth and I put my faith in that and then I start to obey what he says out of gratitude, then I may have some feelings, emotions. I might feel good about myself. I might feel better about life. But it's not those feelings is not the reason why I'm saved. I'm saved because of the facts and putting faith in those facts. That's real Christianity. That's real salvation. Too many people today feel like I'm saved just because I feel good when I talk about Jesus. I feel good when we sing those Great songs. It makes me feel so good. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It may make us feel good. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ really in your heart, based on the truth, based on the facts, based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have never really submitted to him and it confessed your sinfulness 
and that you have a need of him to save you. You have a need for him to come into your heart and cleanse you from all of that filth of the world and of the flesh and of the devil. If we've never really surrendered everything in our heart to him, if we're still holding on to some bitterness, some unforgiveness, if there's some area of sin that we enjoy and we refuse to let go, we still have a problem and we need to make it right. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to make it right. If you have a need, just come as we sing. Brother Bob. Our invitation hymn this evening or this morning is uh, number 555, When We All Get to Heaven, Let's Stand and Sing. Sing the you have anything else this time? Uh, yeah, uh, Mary Chris sent me a message this morning. Uh, Fred did get out of the hospital yesterday. Uh, he's home, but he's still kind of weak, so they stayed home this morning. But she said she will be having class tonight. She'll be here. So 5 o'clock.
Come back. And I think you're going to show a video. Is that right? It's uh, Jonathan Kahn, the man. So it's, it's, it's about his life. It's his testimony, basically. And yes, I'm sure it will be very powerful. So something you don't want to miss. However, just so you know, it's a little bit over two hours. <laughs> so it's going to be a long class. But there will be popcorn and goodies. So. All right. That's all, Bob. That's all. Okay. Uh, who else did we have? Yeah. That's true. We have birthdays okay. and anniversaries, and, that, and we haven't shared with what this Wayne. Right. This. That's what we want to know. Right. But, but birthdays this week. Anybody? Anybody? Nobody. Anniversaries. Nobody. Okay. Let's see. We gotta wait a week or so, Wilma. I said we gotta wait a week or so to celebrate your birthday. You wanna get a head start on it? <laughs> <laughs> she stopped having birthdays at thirty. <laughs> She's been thirty all all that time. So we can go home and then we can come back at five o'clock. Oh, we forgot us. If you're gonna sing for Thursday for Thanksgiving or Christmas, stick around. We will have a short rehearsal. Right, boss? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I think I can do this dismissal thing. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much that you took the debt that I owed and paid it. Thank you that I don't get what I deserve. But instead I receive what I could never earn. We are so blessed. Help us to continue to focus on you for the remainder of the day and the remainder of the week. And to honor you with all we say, with all we do, and even with everything we think. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed be the Have a blessed day and we'll see you.